Y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 20 of season two. And today I have a friend of mine and a wonderful witch that writes a lot on our podcast, Jason Mankey. And here he's talking about what does still connect him to the South. So here we go. Do you ever miss the South? I know that our politics and our other issues with religion are not fun, but is it ever something that you miss? Just the general magic of the place i try to go back for festivals periodically this year i'm going back to pagan unity festival which is outside of nashville and i think i'm going to mystic south in atlanta so i do try to get back the things that i love about the south i really see in the pagan community down there uh so i get to to, like experience those things i loved about growing up in tennessee without the things that horrify me that are currently going on in Tennessee. Yeah, I I do know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, why am I still here? And I think it's, uh, I've talked to somebody else over on the Science Witch Podcast, and she's from the South. And she said she felt a certain amount of pain about it, having to leave. And I think a lot of us do have to leave. I think it's critical to get our work done, our magical work in particular. But I've been making a case for myself, not for anyone else, that I feel like some of us are kind of called to stay, keep the ground softened, if you will, uh, and try to make connections down here and help things to get back to what they should be. And I don't know a whole lot of us that are in the closet because, well, we're in the closet, right? Right. But I do think it's important for us, a few of us, to be here and kind of hold the fort, as my son would say, hold it down. Well, uh, but yeah, I didn't know if you've also felt this. There's a real inherent magic down here. And it's just all this amalgam of all these different kinds of people that have, you know, been born and died here. And it's haunted. And some of it is painful. So it's kind of interesting to work with the land spirits down here because you have to work through that pain oftentimes. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Ancestral trauma. and There's kind of like a sadness to places in the South. Like you can see this beautiful place, but you also know that like horrifying things happened in this beautiful place in the instances of slavery or on the Civil War battlefields. You know, uh, you can, I mean, magic doesn't necessarily always feel good, right? I mean, you can feel that magical energy in those spaces. And, you know, it's not always a positive thing. But it's still work, I think, that's important to do. And it's not always, um, you know, bells and whistles, love and light. Oh, I'm with you, too. Like when you say, you know, I don't think we can just run away from our problems. I don't think that we can change society by only talking to people who agree with us. I think it's really important that there are witches in the South and that there are witches who are still focused on making their home in the South. Some of the best witches I know of the last 20 or 30 years live in the South, you know, and there's this weird idea that there are no witches in the American South. And it's just the opposite. I I think the South is as teeming with witches as anywhere else in the country, maybe more so just because there's like a long history of magical practices, especially in places like Appalachia, 
uh, but also among people of color, you have those long traditions of, of conjure and in some places uh, what we today often call voodoo. I mean, so there are like deep magical roots in those spaces. You know, I agree on, I have been working with a person who works with um, disadvantaged farmers in the rural South, especially Alabama. And she wants to change things so much down here. She has a nonprofit and she gets angry. And we all do get angry at some of the situations, the racism, the bigotry, the old guard. And I keep trying to talk to her about this. I get angry too, but it's like... I've learned how to jump trenches. You know, I see someone on the other side of a trench and I think I, I'm nothing like you. But then if I talk to him about raising tomatoes or loving babies. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, you can find common ground on some things with people. Right. And I think that we have to mind those areas. And if we don't jump those trenches, it's almost like nothing will ever change. And sometimes we just take away some key words that would cause, I, I guess, a bit of a August, you know, amongst some of our Republican neighbors and just talk about the meat of a situation and we're suddenly all together. So I am still trying, you know, whether it be futile or not, <laughs> uh, I'm going to continue to attempt to jump this trench down here um, because we are just as, in, I guess, important as inheritors of this land as anyone else. That's where I am on that one. But it did bring me to something I, I wanted to talk to you about. A long time ago, you were, was it the Science Witch podcast you were on? I don't think so. I mean, I will admit, sometimes all the podcasts. Yeah, they run together. It was That Witch Life. Yes. Yes. And yes, and you were talking so much about that, I guess, journey toward the horn god, and you had been a goddess worshiper am i speaking out of turn or is that sort of yeah that's absolutely the the story uh did not want to have anything to do with the horn god when i you know first embraced witchcraft and paganism i'd grown up as i said in the south and i'd grown up you know as a christian i was a methodist i was president of my church youth group you know you get to be scared of satan in such situations so Looking at gods like Pan, I really wanted nothing to do with them for quite a while. And you know, the South is so patriarchal. It, it's almost like a heady humidity here, the patriarchy. It's, um, it's heavy. And that's a, sort of something I wanted to talk to you about. Now, I'm a goddess worshiper, and uh, I sort of just understand it as the great mother and all of her beautiful faces. And this is where I am. This is very unlike a lot of my peers down here, um, it being so patriarchal and, of course, being so heavily Christian. And I had this maybe out of line idea I wanted to talk to you about. So what of us that are down here who are goddess worshipers or I guess at least a little bit in resistance to the patriarchy in some way, how could we engage or get to know Pan or any more is masculine the right word deities in ways that would be healing and not so what am I looking for here Jason traumatizing you know especially if we went through a lot as women in the south yeah I mean traumatizing is a good word I mean a lot of us have had like really bad experiences with patriarchal religions and the patriarchal experience especially in places like the American south 
you know, and some of the horned gods especially are not always gods on their best behavior. I'm sure for some people getting to know a god like Pan, whose many of his myths are about, you know, chasing nymphs and uh, trying to, you know, basically sexually assault them, which is really terrible. And it's hard, you know, it can't be justified. But that's what the myths are about. So certainly for a lot of people, those are going to be like no goes. But not every deity is like that. And also, you know, myths are stories. I don't think that like the myths represent Pan as he is in the year 2022. You know, it certainly like some of the iconography around Pan speaks to something much, much different. But yeah, I mean, it, it can be difficult. And getting close to those gods, you know, might be something that people don't want to do. You know, I when people often ask me, you know, how do I get to know the horn god? You know, how can I have this relationship? I don't really have good answers sometimes. You know, I have my relationships. Sometimes I feel like those relationships were things that were, I don't want to say forced upon me, but that I was sought after. That, like, especially the god Pan, who is not a god of patience. He's not a god of waiting. I feel like after trying to push him off for so many years, he just decided that he was going to come into my life and was going to make himself known, and that was going to be how it was. That I really didn't have a lot of choice of on the matter. But, you know, if it comes to learning about deities, I always say that the best way to do it is to talk to the deity. You know, I mean, I think that there's sort of this uh, squeamishness sometimes about using the word prayer. But prayer is really just talking to gods and goddesses, higher powers, uh, what have you. And that's really the best way to start in any relationship. However, if you're not looking for that relationship and you don't feel called to it anyway, I don't really see why somebody necessarily has to have it. But, you know, talking to deity, leaving deity libations, you know, deity is a lot like us. It likes to be flattered. It likes presence. You know, leaving pan wine or, or scotch is a pretty good way to get in his good graces. There are also deities that are horned or antlered who don't have the baggage of a god like Pan. I mean, Kernonos, we, everything that we know about a god like Kernonos comes from his iconography, comes from the statues that were left behind, because there are no myths of Kernonos. And those images present a much more benign picture. So the Horned God is a complex figure, certainly more than just the great god Pan, for instance. You know, I've always kind of wondered, I don't necessarily... And I wouldn't say that gods or goddesses change with their people, but I do tend to believe that they reflect their people. Does that make any sense? Upon occasion I, that there is that reflection. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I think that makes total sense. You know, you see patriarchy represented in mythology and patriarchal societies. You know, there's no way that Athena was born from Zeus's head, right? But it was a patriarchal society. So that story was written to show that men were the dominant sex in that culture. And now we just kind of accept it. But I mean, that meant there were probably stories of Athena being born in more conventional means before she popped out of Zeus's head. I think God's changed, though. I think that if we have the capacity to grow as human beings, I think deity probably has the capacity to grow as deities, as thinking entities. I, you know, I go back to Pan a lot uh, because I have the relationship with Pan, but he's also, you know, has this huge body of literature surrounding him, both in the ancient world and in the modern world. And in the 19th century, his mythology changed. 
You know, we don't think of the poems of the Romantics and the Victorians in 19th century England and early 20th century England as mythology. But they were writing about Pan and they were writing about Pan in a very different way than he was written about by the Greeks. You know, all of a sudden he was this much more benign God of the wild spaces. He was the connection to nature that people felt as if they needed because their connection to nature had been lost. Uh, To me, that's as much of a part of the story as any myth from Athens 2,500 years ago. And I just wanted to say that what I find lovely about this conversation is I keep on getting this image of uh, Pan horning in on you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm horning in on your space because it's time for you to hear me. And, you know, as a goddess worshiper, though, it's not that I'm completely unaware of other deities. I don't know if that makes sense, but... I am. And I spend a lot of my time in the woods. Uh, You know, I have a farm and a lot of my practices are very root bound. And I felt that presence in the woods. And I've especially felt it. uh, We have a buck that likes to come and watch me when I walk around my mushroom logs and deep in the night. And it feels um, it feels protective, though. It feels interested in me, but also protective. And I know that I've talked to other goddess worshipers who say, I'm intrigued, but I'm also afraid. And I don't necessarily think that we need to feel that way. I think we spend a lot of time being afraid of someone else's, I guess, concept of God, if you will. And if we are right with ours and we're in a good situation, I think a little curiosity is kind of fun and healthy. And that open-mindedness kind of leads to a deeper witchcraft. Personally, that's something I was thinking about it. You know, the the stag, there's just so much power and energy there. I mean, that was like my first sort of inklings of being aware of Kernonos was when I lived in Michigan. And Michigan has a huge deer population. So you'd be out in the woods and, you know, you'd hear the deer running around you. Even if you couldn't see the deer, you could hear that presence of them, you know, especially in the fall, you know, when they're kind of like the trees right now, you know, full of <laughs> full of sexual energy. And it's kind of scary uh, in those situations. But also, you know, I never felt threatened by it. And, you know, there are stories of people, especially when the deer are rutting, you know, finding themselves in, in bad situations. Uh, but I'd never, ever felt threatened. You know, there was just kind of this power there, you know, it was like, hello, I'm here, you know, this is another way to connect with the natural world is to feel this around you. Yeah, I may never, um, I don't know, you could say never, but I may never switch where I am the way I might not ever have your journey. But I do know that exists. I do know that that presence is there. And I still respect it. I don't have to, you know, um, give myself over to a different deity to not respect something. And so I I just found that really cool. And especially I found that intriguing for us down here in the Deep South, because I wonder how easy it is for some of us to lean into that more male deity when we've gone through so much. But then again, I wouldn't say that Pan had a lot to do with the patriarchy. Well, he didn't like civilization very much. You know, that's one thing about Pan. You know, he always wanted to live sort of outside of town. He liked the stuff of civilization, like wine. But, you know, he was a god of wild spaces and shepherds, you know, ended up having to spend a lot of time by himself, you know, but 
he certainly wasn't like working, you know, for the man, so to speak. Right. He just he just wanted to do his own thing. And that might be why I keep running into him, <laughs> because um, I like wine <laughs> and I'm always leaving some and I work out here in the wild. So maybe we have a little flirtation going on. I don't know. But I found it interesting and I wondered, I just don't want to close down opportunity for my magic. So I'm interested. And speaking of that, I wanted to talk about your new book. Oh, wow. That one is that one's not out until December. It's it's so weird being a writer who's written a lot of books in a short time. You know, it all just kind of blends together in your brain. And there's always one that just came out and then one that's coming out and one that just felt like it came out, plus whatever else you're currently writing. Yeah, I like talking about the Greek gods book. Uh, that's the probably the freshest in my head, which is which makes it easy to talk about. Well, you know, I, I wrote to you about this. I don't think you saw the email that my dissertation, my doctorate was in Greek and, you know, relevant other mythology on goddesses and all of her different images over 200 years in literature. And this is not, I, I don't have a pantheon. That's just not me. But I have always had respect for these different images and different amalgamations of, well, the gods and the goddesses. And I wanted to ask you, why do we still, I know why I do, but I want to hear from the author of this book. Why do we still see this as relevant to go back in time and look at these myths and look at these deities? And I say myth tongue in cheek, you know, I'm a witch. And how do they still apply to our lives today? Why is it important to do this sort of study and consider that? I think that people are attracted to the Greek gods because there's a couple of reasons. The first is that there are a lot of stories about them. And we encounter those stories at a very young age. I think I started reading Greek mythology maybe in the second grade. I couldn't quite say the names of all the deities that I was reading about. I called Persephone Persephone for years. But... I mean, you were reading those stories and they become a part of your life. And the stories are really different from if, you know, you're a kid who grows up in a religious household and has to read the Bible. The gods are a lot, much more like us, right? They're, they get angry at people. They fall in love with human beings and each other. They have petty squabbles. Some of them are bullies. Some of them are really nice. It's a really sort of different way. And I think one of the things that deity, the Greek deities allow us to do is they allow us to s express certain ideas that, that we really can't express otherwise, um, especially through figures from art and history. And the gods are really great for that. So, you know, every year at Valentine's Day, people are like, why is Cupid associated with Valentine's Day? Why do we see all this stuff? And it's because there's nothing in the Christian pantheon that expresses those sort of feelings, right? You have to go back to the gods of the Greeks, and then there's a god for everything. You know, if you want to express the wildness of nature, all of a sudden there's Artemis with her bow running through the through the woods. If you want to express a, a loving wife, or at least a wife, uh, you can look at Hera. Hera's mythology is completely different from how she was worshipped in ancient Greece, by the way. Much, much more benign figure when she was being worshipped. The myths are something else entirely. Um, you know, Aphrodite, goddess of love and beauty. The Greek gods allow us to express those things and ideas. And then they're really kind of one of the bedrocks of our modern civilization. You know, in the Romance languages, days of the week are named after the Greek gods. We have planets named after the gods in their Roman names. 
they're really impossible to escape from. They're in poems, they're in stories. You know, they still make bad movies featuring the Greek gods. Maybe one of these days, somebody will get it right and we'll have a great movie with the Greek gods in it. Uh, but they've captured our imagination for 2,500 years, and they're super portable. Uh, this is something that I think people often overlook. So the origin of the Greek gods, many of them are Greek in origin. Some of them predate the ancient Greeks. Some of them were imported into Greece from other places. And then as Greek culture spread around the world, you have these deities from Great Britain all the way to India. I mean, they were gods that loved to travel, and their stories resonated with people. And they continue to find new audiences and, and new ways of being. I mentioned Pan being reborn in the 19th century. I think we see something very similar today with Hecate who, you know, has become, you know, for a lot of people, the goddess of the witches, especially over the last 20 years. You know, they continually reinvent themselves and find ways to be in the conversation. Uh, so writing about the Greek gods is something that I think is going to appeal to a lot of witches just because they've captured our imaginations for such a long time. You know, I was listening to your latest podcast today. Well, the one you did with um, the Modern Witch Podcast, I believe. And yeah, with Devin. Yeah, yeah, it was really awesome. I was listening to it to prepare for this one to kind of get in my headspace. And one of the things I loved, I want to have a t-shirt that says it, is witchcraft is messy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quoting you. And I'm thinking to myself while you're telling me about, you know, the Greek gods and goddesses is they were messy, too. Oh, absolutely. Super messy. I think we have this idea because we read bullfinch's mythology or edith hamilton's uh, stories of greek gods and it sounds like it's all spelled out you know like this goddess came from here and these were her parents and these are her stories and this is how she was worshipped but that's not the case with the de with the gods at all i mean they have various parentage depending on the source zeus most of us think of her as the daughter of Kronos, you know rising from the foam when his genitals fall into the sea but in Homer, she's the daughter of Zeus, for instance. So there's like no clear, you know, consensus on her parentage. How the god, how deities were seen varied from city state to city state. You know, Zeus, or let's say Aphrodite is a great example. You know, there are pictures of Aphrodite shaking a spear. Those just pictures just weren't in Athens, where, you know, her worship was not like that. It was, you know, much more how we think of. Aphrodite is, you know, goddess of love and beauty. But if she was in Thebes or in Sparta, you know, she might be seen as a lot more fierce. There's also Aphrodite uh, pictured with a beard in some places. I mean, there's all of this stuff. And yeah, the Greek gods are really, really messy. And we just have this little picture because of some of the stories that we read. But that's not really the reality of how they were worshipped at all. You know, and I, said, I mentioned Hera before. You know, you read the stories of Hera. It, I mean, they're they're terrible. I mean, all she does is punish the children of Zeus that were conceived with another woman, which is most of his children, of course, uh, especially the big names like Heracles and Dionysus. But the Greeks loved Hera. You know, she was benign to them. You know, she was a woman who watched over childbirth. She was someone 
who loved everyone unconditionally. It's the exact opposite picture that you get from reading about her in stories. Uh, so yeah, I love that. Witchcraft is messy. The Greek gods are very, very messy. What I love about that is I see myself and my own craft in that. You know, I think when we try to sanitize things too much and we get into polarities, uh, I don't know, the sacred or magic itself just sort of slips out of our hands. And I remember when I was writing my dissertation all those years ago, not very relevant anymore, but I was just thrown back that a goddess figure could be both malevolent and benevolent, right. you know, like maternal and also warlike. And it gave me permission <laughs> to be the witch I want to be, which is not to carve out particular parts of me that society finds, I guess, unacceptable or untamable. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing about the gods that makes them so appealing is those rough edges, right? Because we see ourselves reflected in that. I mean, even the best of us has moments when we're angry or jealous or whatever it is. We have an emotion that most people would not consider benign. I've cursed a few people. I'll admit that. I'm not all Wiccan read all the time or anything, right? Right. It's not a license necessarily for bad behavior. But it reflects, you know, the human experience in a way that perfection does not reflect the human experience. I agree. You know, I think we want these clinical, clear, good, bad, you know, war or peace ideas in our craft and our relationships. And it is messy. And the human experience is a journey. And how are we going to know if we don't, you know, go through a few things and I don't know. You know, I'm Jason. I'm also a professor. Uh, that's why I hide my identity. I have a doctoral degree in philosophy and I have to teach grad students. I um, sort of like a micro dean for a lot of teachers. And then I have undergrads as well. But then I'm also this person. I am Seba. I am country born and raised down here. I know how to say uh, druthers <laughs> and fix into and I make a mean-ass peach cobbler. So I am an amalgam, too. I am all these wild, crazy things. I may be one of the only uh, non-Republicans in 20 miles out here. But I'm just as Southern as they are. And so what I'm trying to say is I feel like this book and, you know, learning about the Greek gods and goddesses helps us to see that the messiness inside of ourselves is sort of magical. You know, it's all a balance in the end. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think we can use the messiness to help us in our magic. You know, like, you know, anger is often frowned upon in society, but, you know, anger sometimes fuels what we do magically. I know when I'm really, really angry and I'm working on a spell, I can feel that power and that energy just dripping from me. Right. I mean, I'm going to channel it and make something good out of those feelings. Yeah, I, I, I think the gods teach us things, right? And sometimes even in moments of weakness, things come out okay. You know, where we used to live, I had this little pile in the vines. It was uh, behind where we sat every night and had wine. And oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm admitting this on the air. But <laughs> when I would finish a bottle of wine, I would throw it there. And my endeavor was if I had anything I had to let go that day. And it was a contained pile. It had stones <laughs> around it. <laughs> and I would throw it and try to hit another one for that delicious crack, you know. 
And it became this beautiful stained glass pile that I will always regret I didn't make into a window because sometimes anger, if it's not, you know, hurting anyone, sometimes it can make something beautiful. If you, like you said, turn it into something good, Uh, whether that be a protest or I guess a good book, (laughs) but something that can actually, you know, move change along instead of staying stagnant in that anger and frustration. And I do believe that the Greek gods and goddesses, I think they had that on lock. I just love the idea of like you out drinking wine and throwing glass (laughs) bottles and other glass bottles in the woods. I don't have as much space as you do, but I sometimes throw eggs like at like at the fence in my backyard, you know, because it has that very satisfying crack. And it's always a magical act, like I'm trying to get rid of something and like whoosh hurl that egg as hard as I can. Holy shit. You, yeah, yeah. you just changed the game for me. Um, You know, I have chicken, so you just changed the game. My partner said, okay, now we, we live on this little farm. We don't need glass out in the woods for the dogs or the rabbits or whatever. And I have not had an outlet and you just changed the game for me. You're welcome. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> send all tools to Jason Mankey. Care of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's perfect. <laughs> you know, uh, you got to be careful with those eggs, though. I, I put them in my bra sometimes when I can't find any other pocket to put them in. And one night last week, I rolled over. <laughs> I'd forgotten. And I had a hell of a squish, Jason. So it will wow. come back on you. <laughs> this is now my favorite podcast story ever that I've ever heard. On- <laughs> Stories of a country witch? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you had anything you could say back to all of us, um, you know, I have a very tiny coven. It is closed. That means that there will be no more for me. No more for me. Uh, getting older, have different prospects, put in my time teaching and I'm going to be done. I've reared up a couple and they're my beloveds, but I'm almost done. And so we do have a cute little coven out here and I called them cute. They get so mad. But they're wonderful, very, very lovely human beings. And there's lots of us down here, like you said. So is there anything you want to say back to us, back to uh, to the Southern witches that are still here fighting the good fight? Is there anything that you think that they might want to hear from people who've moved on that could give them a little energy towards this? I think that there's a perception sometimes amongst pagans that, you know, all the witches and all the pagans, they live on the coasts, right? Maybe some in the Midwest somewhere, but they're all, you know, in California and they're all in Salem, Massachusetts and stuff. And people really often overlook the South. But those of us in the know, uh, those of us who are paying attention know much, much better than that. You know, that witchcraft is alive in the American South. It's vibrant in the American South. Some of the best thinkers in the craft today are coming from the American South. And it's always been in the American South and always will be in the American South. So, you know, when you, if you read something and you feel kind of disheartened because everything is about New York and San Francisco, uh, just know that, you know, that's a lot of bullshit and that the witchcraft community in the American South is as vibrant as it is anywhere else. Yeah. We have to be a lot more careful. Um, I know, you know, because you have followed me for a long time that I lost my job in 2014 Mm -hmm. And had to get a lawyer and sue and all that. And 
that sounds so righteous and, oh, you know, I got a settlement. <laughs> it was very small, but what was worse was a lot of us know what comes next. We become unhirable. Um, we fight these fights. And I remember my lawyer asking me outside of the door of the Capitol before we went in for the last meeting. And he said, who do you think you are? Jesus? Are you a martyr for these people? Is that what you're going to be? And it pissed me off at the time. It really did. Um, because that's not really what I was trying to do. But then I look back on it and I'm like, well, I guess I did sort of give up my career to make one tiny mark. Because if you have a case in the state of Alabama, somebody else can use it as precedent. Right. And there are a lot of us down here that just don't want to go through the horrors of losing your retirement, you know, which I did, or your health insurance, which I did, and the respect of your community, which I did. And at the same time, if anybody does need that moment, there's got to be more of us willing to fight. And I think if it happened again to me, I'd fight all the way up. But I, I do worry for those of us down here that are having to stay in the closet because it is a little back in time. And we're a, what is it called? A no fault? I can't remember. We can be fired for any cause, Jason. Um, yeah. At will employers. That's it. At will. And that can mean a lot of things. So, you know, bless us down here, y'all. We're still trying, fighting the good fight. It feels so backwards that that kind of thing could happen in the last 10 years, right? I mean, we just don't expect that anymore. And, and you know, a lot of people think the battles have been won, but the battles are ongoing. And I think that they're going to get bigger as we've seen certain legislatures and in, in certain states in the far west and the south uh, really try to carve into the rights of individuals. And I think it's going to come up uh, with religious discrimination. I mean, I think... One of the blowbacks of witchcraft currently being popular is that there are people who are going to react to that popularity in a very negative and bigoted way. And, you know, we have to ever be vigilant. I was going to say it can be really physically scary um, during that time. I, I don't know how they knew, but my husband was at a local gas station right down the road. And while he was standing there buying something, gas, whatever, um, a preacher came in with three young men and said, I heard that there is a witch that lives on this road. Can anyone tell me where they are? And my husband was standing there and he said, Later on, he said, I don't know why I said what I said. But what he said was, aren't you a little old to be leaving things like that, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, drove back to the house and said, lock the door. But <laughs> it's uh, physically frightening for us as well. So I'm going to remain and I'm going to go all the way down with this ship. And hopefully the ship will uh, have a pretty flag on it that others will remember. But it is it is difficult. Y'all don't forget about us out there, honey. Couldn't forget about you if I tried. <laughs> well, I've had a wonderful time. Is there anything you want to ask me before we close down? You know, I you know, I have my own podcast to ask people questions on. So I mean I feel I feel guilty asking you questions. First of all, I want to know exactly where that is. Tell everybody where we can find that real quick. So I have a podcast called the Witch with Books podcast, uh, and where we review books. Sometimes we talk to authors. It's on all the major platforms where you get your podcasts. Uh, so there's that. 
And I feel like every time I have a new book come out that I'm like on every podcast for a month or so, I just, The Witch's Book of Spellcraft, which is my eighth book, just came out like 20 days ago. Uh, so I've been on a lot of shows talking about that particular book. So if you don't like me, I'm probably hard to escape right now in the witch world. You know, I don't get involved in all that don't like and do like thing. I've liked you from the moment I ever heard you talk. And I'm just crazy about you, honey. Oh, blushing. I'm glad that the cameras are turned off and no one can see this, but I really am. (laughs) You know, it's I think that our witchcraft world is mostly really supportive of everybody. I know that my friends who are authors, we're excited when one of us does well. Right. We're not bitter. Oh, this person sold more books than me or this person got this opportunity and I didn't get this opportunity. Usually we're all very happy for each other. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats, so to speak. So most of my experiences in our greater community have all been very good. I think if you write long enough and all that, you're probably going to get a hater or two. But you have to look upon that as a sign of success. You really do. You know, like if somebody wants to waste the energy saying something about you, I think that says much more about them than it does about you. I agree. I see a couple of things go by that are not about you, just in general, where folks are really not being kind to each other. Uh, And we already have enough to traverse. It's shocking to me that witches would not be kind to each other, but I see it a lot. I don't see it out of you, though. And I'm really looking forward to that book. It looks like a wonderful one. And I like the sort of inclusive nature from what I've read about it going on in that spell book. Yeah, well, it was nice to write because I I wrote it with three other people. You know, they all suggested ideas. So I had two coven members, Matt Cavelli and Amanda Lynn, and then my wife, Ari. So there's like a lot of different perspectives in the book, which is nice. So it's just more than me, (laughs) which is good. After... So many books, even I wanted different perspectives that weren't mine. So that was fun. Well, I think it's fun, too. I can't wait to get my hands on it, and I'll do a good review for it. But do you have any questions for me? I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm going to ask. I hope that you find a way to Mystic South in Atlanta this, this summer, thing, and that would be like really amazingly cool. Or I'll just have to find an excuse to come to Alabama. You know, there's got to be a witch shop somewhere. There is one. It's tiny. You would love it. And I cook really well. So I could totally put you up and you could sit out here. We'd have a wonderful time. I've got a lot of friends who I finally met. And I would love to host you out here on our farm. Well, we could we could like have a great dinner and then throw some eggs. (laughs) Yes. And keep the wine bottles away from me, Jason. Keep them away. Right. Yes, we'll take those just directly to the recycling bin. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been wonderful having you on here. I sure do appreciate you. Thank you, honey. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun show. I've just had a really good time. Some really good questions, too. Well, I'm going to hold you on the line and talk to you for a few more seconds. But first, let me say thanks, y'all. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South. 